Amud Bet, fiduciary responsibility zil lo adif mididach. So here we're de- dealing about where a manager has to make decisions that affect, the, in this case, the yatomim, the the uh, uh, orphans. So you've got people, young children who inherit an estate, and a manager, an apotropus is appointed, and the apotropus makes decisions which is going to affect the well-being of the yatomim. What's important is the idea of the yatomim is not just children without a father. That's the, the definition of what a yatom is, what an orphan is. But we see in the Gemara that we, there's no difference whether the yatom is wealthy or poor. Maybe the yatom's a millionaire themselves. Um, it doesn't say that you've got to be very careful about the decisions you make on behalf of orphans if they're poor. It's, it's orphans altogether. So we've got to expand the understanding of an orphan in, in halacha, certainly ethically, but possibly even halachically. An orphan then is a person who is dependent on the decisions of management, uh, and they have no power. So it's an, a, a powerless owner of an asset managed by a stranger. That's really what a yatom is. In which case we can extend the principles of management of the affairs of a yatom to a, a, the management team of a startup to a, a management team of a company that has investors. The fact that the investors might be wealthy makes no difference. The fact is, you have investors in your business whose well-being, whose economic well-being is dependent on the decisions you're making. And they have no power. Uh, they can buy and they can sell, and they can sell maybe the Yatomim, don't even, don't even have that. Uh, so the, at least, at least ethically, a lot of the principles of this, of the Sugi apply to the way one manages the assets of an individual who has no power over the management of those assets other than appointing you or not appointing you. That being said, let's have a look at the Gemara and Afkufa Mudbeis. Omar Av Yehuda Omar Shmuel, Metaltalin She Yatomim, Shaminotam Umachrimatam Lalter. If you have an estate of, of, of um, orphans, of Yatomim, sell it and realize the cash right away. Don't wait, don't take risks. So what we're looking at is the level of risk management. How do you, how do you mitigate risk? How do you manage risk when the money isn't yours? So, um, so Shmuel says, Rav Yudas says, name Shmuel, don't take any chances. Realize the cash immediately. And Rav Chista Baravimi says, you find the right market. Don't do it immediately and, and cause a loss. The Lord Pligi says, they're not arguing. It depends if the market day is, is close or is far, if it's distant geographically or in time. You've got to balance. Do I wait for the market day when I might get a better price? But by then, who knows, the prices might change and there's, there's risk in the assets being lost. Or do I realize the cash immediately? Rav Kahana had in his hands under his control a, an asset of beer that belonged to Rav Yatma, these orphans. She And he waited until Yom Tif. Even though there's a risk of it going off, the beer going off, I'll rather take that risk because I can get a much better price before Yom Tov when everybody's buying, there's more demand than, than there is supply. And so he made that decision and he weighed it up. Ravina have a chamre de Ravina zuti yat Important bit of history here. Ravina had in his hands the wine 
Again, an asset, barrels of wine. He had a wine cellar that belonged to Ravina Zuti, to the young Ravina, who was his ne- nephew, his sister's son, and a Yatomi. He was a, 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 um, a, an orphan. Ravina, we know, is, uh, was a Talmud of Ravashi. Ravina and Ravashi edit the Gemara. Ravina helps his, his Rebbe Ravashi. Ravina also learned with Rova. So Ravina had amazing access to the last generations of the Amoraim. Uh, and he, together with Ravashi, edit the, the Gemara, create what we have now as the, as the Gemara. But Ravina Zuti was the final one. His nephew, the young Ravina, really worked on the end version that we have today. And this Ravina Zuti, this young Ravina, is considered the last of the Amoraim. So his death marks the end of the Amoraic period. So this Ravina Zuta just mentioned in passing is a very important personality. He had his own wine as well. So the, the big Ravina, older Ravina, had his own asset, his own wine cellar, and he had the wine that he was taking care of for his, his nephew whose father had died. He was taking his wine to a town called Sikra where he was going to sell it because there there was a demand for, for wine. So he came to Ravashi, to his Rebbe, and he asked him, I'm going to secret to sell my own wine. Should I take the, my nephew's wine as well and take the risk of the journey? We could be robbed, the ship could sink. I'm certainly putting his asset into greater risk by taking it with me to Sikra, I don't mind taking my own. I'm willing to take that risk for my own. But is it okay to take that risk for an asset that isn't mine? Omar Lezil, he said to him, go, lo adif miditcha. You don't have to be more careful with his than with yours. If you're going to take yours, then you can take his as well. If you're not, that's a good way to measure the risk. What would you do with your own asset? So that's how the Gemara seems to read. The way to measure the acceptable risk levels for money you're managing on behalf of somebody else is what would you do if the money was your own? Treat the money as your own. You do with them as you would for your own. But in, in the riff, we see something, something very different. By the way, you'll see I've quoted a long Torah to Mima, um, which we're not going to go through in detail. I've quoted because it's such a beautiful piece of work. And, and something you might want to look through where he goes into the whole question of marrying a woman whose name is the same as, as your mother's or a girl marrying a man whose name is the same as the father's. And there's the, um, the, the Tzavor of Rabbi, uh, of, of Rabbi Huda Chosid. He left in his will, the question is whether it was for his own family or everybody, not to marry somebody whose name is the same as your parents. And he goes into the whole question of why that is and what the background for that is. And in passing, he, he mentions also the, the, the minag to name after family, after family members. You know, the, the minag, especially in Israel, but not only in Israel, is now they make up all these new names and you call people, uh, I don't know what, Ilana uh, Tree, Sadeh Field, Geffen, a vineyard, all these names that people make up. But, but the, uh, there was a tendency to name after relatives, grandparents, great-grandparents. And they, there's a discussion. Why in the Torah to me, it brings the Bipnesha Anu Naim Venadim Begalut, Raui Lanu Liskor Hishtal Shulut Yichusei Avot. It's important as we go through the Golus period that you keep track of your, of your Yichus. And one of the ways to do that is to name children after a Zayda, after a great-grandfather. Then people say, who you named after? My great-grandfather, who was he? He came from such a time. And, that's, and that, keeps the, that keeps the narrative alive of where you come from. 
So a name is not just a way of identifying you, something to put on your ID form and your two dads do it. A name is also part of the narrative of your legacy, where you come from and who you are. So there's a great value in giving children the names of people in your line of family. And he said, we, and we see it here, Ravina, for example, and Ravina Zutter. Ravina was obviously a family name. They were, they were naming after somebody. But we also see on the previous Omud, we've got the case of Rav Prata Benosha, Rabbi Lozo Ben Prata, Ben Benosha, Rabbi Prata Agodo. The, the Gemara goes out of its way here and in Gitin as well to reference um, on, on Omud Aleph, Prata, the son of Rabbi Lozo, the son of Prata, the grandson of Prata Agodo. Why, why were we even told this whole long? This is to, to, me, to tell you that you go with family names. Prata was a name in the family. And the great-grandfather was Prata, and the grandfather was Prata, and the child was Prata. They used those family names, and it's important to be able to do that. In the Hasidic dynasties, we see it a lot, that the same names come over generation after generation. A lot of the, the, the dynasties of great Rabbonim, you see it over and over again. Um, and there's, there's basis for that, and there's reason for that. So one has to think, when you're naming a child, you're not just, oh, what should we name the child? Let's go look up in the names book and find a name that you like. The first thing to look at is, is there a family connection? Can we connect this baby to earlier generations of our own family? And to create that connection with at least one of the names that one, one gives the child. Anyway, what, what emerges from this Gemara is that the, the method of, of evaluating the level of risk that you should take on when, you, when you're managing risk for another is the, the same as it would for your own. But the riff has a different gears in the Gemara. The wording in the riff is different. Now, it's not always when the riff um, brings different wording. It's not always a different gears. Sometimes the riff adds it in by way of explanation. But very often the riff has a, has, has a different version of the Gemara. Um, and here we, it, it seems to be here, one, one can look it up, I haven't had time to look up the manuscripts and see, are there other versions where you find this, but it seems to be that the reef has a different, different um, manuscript and it makes a difference in the way you manage the assets of others. It makes a difference in the level of risk that you're allowed to take on when you're managing other people's assets. If you look at the, the first part of the Gemara is the same as ours and the riff on the next page of the sources. Um, and it have a masik sikra, he took his wine to sikra. Atal kamed ravashi, he came to his rebbe ravashi, what about taking my wine with to, to sikra with me? But the riff adds in, and again, it's probably in his version of the Gemara that that Ravina gives Rav Ashi that stadim, the two sides of his dilemma. Why he's even asking the Shaila. It's important when one asks the Shaila is to be able to articulate the dilemma. It's not, is it, am I Yes or no? That's not a Shaila. You're just asking what the din is. That's information you need. A Shaila is when there's a reason to say A and there's a reason to say B and I'm not able to draw a distinction and to, and to come to a conclusion. What are the sides? Nishkele, if I take it with me to Sikro Dilma Mitnes, I'm increasing the risk of damage to the wine en route. Uh, whether the ship sinks, as Rashi mentions, or the, uh, anything can happen. Neshavke, if I leave it and I take my wine to Sikra and I come back later, Dilma Mitkif, the longer I leave it, the more chance it is of becoming vinegar, of going off. So either way, there's a risk. There's a risk in doing nothing and there's a risk in taking it with me. How do I manage the risk of somebody else's assets? Omale uh, Ravashi answers, Zil lo adif mididach, the same answer that we have in our Gemara. Take it, you can take it with you. You don't have to treat his wine any more cautiously than you would treat your own wine. Says the run, 
דווקא בכי היי גוונה משום דאיקי למכס שמייחמיצים יניחנו כאן. The reason that Rav Ashi, in the Girsa of the Rif, the reason Rav Ashi says, yes, take it with you, you don't have to treat it any better than yours, is because there's a risk in doing nothing. It's not as if, you, if, if there was no risk in doing nothing, and the only risk was in take, going to Sikro, Rav Ashi would have said, don't take the risk. Why do that? Just leave it where it is. But since leaving it where it is is also risky, Ravashi says you've got to manage the risk the way you would normally. Halavachi says the run, but if it were not for that, lo sharin Even though you're willing to take the risk for yourself, you're not permitted to take the risk when you're managing the assets of another person. So it comes out according to the gilsa of the rif, that when you're responsible for the assets of the Yatomim, you have to be more careful than you would with your own. Here, where both are a risk and you're weighing up which risk is, is greater, you treat it like your own. But if one way is risky and the other way is less risky, you've always got to take the less, the less risky. Yeah, and you, as we say, we have this in the area of startups. I know with my son-in-law who's, who's founded a startup, he is more careful with the assets of his investors, far more than his own. So cautious until the investors get every penny back. Sleepless nights to make sure that nobody loses any, any money. That, that's the, the sense of somebody who's responsible for assets of others over whom they have no control, even though they knew the risk in investing in your company. Nevertheless, as the trustee of that money, you have to be more careful than your own, according to the RIF. And the Rosh Paskins that way too. The Rosh often works off the same version as the Rif, and, and although we have the Rosh as a separate parish, it was written as a parish on the Rif. Um, and, and it's interesting, all this, the, the run is, is 14th century Spain. He, he was uh, in Toledo, where the, where the Rosh, in Barcelona, where the Rosh Bo was. The Rosh comes to Barcelona from, from Germany when things get bad and is bad in Israel, but the Maram Rutenberg is, is imprisoned in, in Germany and there are riots and pogroms in Germany. He moves to, to Spain and even there he comes to the place of the Ashbo and later on in Toledo. Um, and, and it's the same shit that we're seeing, the Rif who was in Spain, the Ran who was in Spain, the Rosh who comes to Spain, that have the same version which results in a different halachic outcome. If you're in doubt, ask the Beitin to make the call. You're not allowed to say, I'll treat it as I would my own money. No, that's not good enough. It's, it's an amazing idea to say, you, you, all I want is you should treat it as your own money. No, says the Rosh. You can't treat the money of the Yutomim as your own money. You have to treat it as better, more cautiously. More risk averse. Yes, that means you, maybe you miss some opportunity, but your first responsibility is not to lose money. As, as the manager of other people's assets, of investors' assets, your first responsibility is not to lose. Um, the Shilta Bigiborim brings the, um, the Rosh on the, uh, on the reef. So that's, that's important for us to appreciate that, uh, that, that when we're managing according to the reef, the Rosh, uh, and the run, when we're managing the assets of people who are dependent on our decisions and choices, expanding the idea of your tomim into any investor who has no control over their money but has put the control in your hands, the first responsibility is to minimize risk. Yes, you can then, you want to grow the money, you want to grow the assets. The first responsibility is to minimize the risk. Is it enough to treat their money as I would my own? If you were an, an owner of an asset, you would be, you, that would be wonderful. Wow, if this person who I invested with treats my money as he would his own, that's great. No, says the Ross, just not good enough. 
You've got to treat his money even more carefully than you would your own. That's the requirement of the halacha according to our sugi.